We are in a series of messages called Unleashed, looking at how Jesus unleashed his church upon the world, looking at some of the things that characterized them and also some of the things that they had to go through, because there are things that we will go through as well, and today is kind of one of those messages. I've called this message today, The Potential in Every Problem, The Potential in Every Problem. We're in Acts chapter 6 today, Acts chapter 6. We've been seeing how the Lord's church in the book of Acts has been multiplying as multitudes of men and women were turning, uh, to, turning to Christ as Lord and Savior at the preaching of the gospel. But we come to Acts chapter 6, and the impact of this section of Scripture, besides helping us to see the basic functions and requirements of church leadership, this section is to get us to see how every problem has in it the seeds of a greater potential that we could miss if we hadn't gone through the problem. See, the Lord's church was doing well, but already, as we've seen in the book of Acts, there's been some difficult things come their way, right? We've seen the persecution of the apostles. We've seen how the Lord took care of hypocrisy in the church in Acts chapter 5. There have been things that are coming their way, difficulties. Things are not always a bed of roses, even when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to his church. And so there are problems and trials that come their way. James says in James chapter 1 and verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What's your attitude when you have to face trials? Okay. I, yeah, you know, how many of us consider it pure joy? Not talking here about happiness. Happiness is based on what happens, on happenstance. Okay, if my team wins, I'm happy. If they don't, I'm sad. No, this is joy. It's different. Joy is not based on what happens. Joy is based on your relationship with the Lord. So that whenever you go through a difficult time, you may not be happy, but you can still be joyful. Because your relationship with him is still strong. So James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. <laughs> but I'm like you. I don't get excited about problems. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't enjoy them. I don't want them. I don't like them. How about you? Yeah, all right, all right, just admit it. And yet the Bible teaches that we're going to have more than our fair share of them. Jesus said what? In this world you will have struggles, you'll have tribulation. And James right here says, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever, not if, but whenever you're going to face these things. Why? Why should we consider it pure joy? Because James says in verse 2, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's a blessing. A blessing that comes when we go through trials and tough times. And verse 4 tells us that these problems will help us to become complete and mature, not lacking anything. So God has a purpose and a potential in every problem that he allows us to face. 
And we're not to wonder about our problems or wallow around in them, but we're to work at finding God's providential purpose and the potential in that problem and realize this is just another way for God to bring us to maturity and completeness in Christ. Now, Satan doesn't like the church. He doesn't like the Lord's people. And so when the church is doing well, as we see here in the book of Acts, he's going to attack. Same thing happens to us. He will attack us as well. And as soon as you begin to do something for God, Satan will move in to mess it up. And I want to share with you three basic tactics that Satan will use. One is that he will use persecution. Whether it's emotional or mental or physical persecution, Satan will try to get us to back off and chicken out. We see this clearly in Acts chapter 4. After Peter and John had healed the lame man at the gate, they get called in on the carpet by the religious leaders who say, by what name or what power have you done this? And Peter tells them, it's at the name of Jesus. And that no other name under heaven has been given among men wherein we must be saved. And so they threaten them repeatedly and tell them to never again preach or teach in the name of Jesus. (laughs) To which Peter And John responds, well, you just determine for yourself whether it's right for us to obey God or you. We're going to continue to do what God tells us to do. We're going to go right on preaching and teaching. But they threaten them repeatedly. And then we saw in the last chapter, chapter 5, where they're even flogged. And again commanded to never preach or teach again in the name of Jesus. So persecution is one of the basic tactics that Satan will use against the church. He'll also use sin. Sin. All he needs is to get some of us to sin, and he can affect the entire body. We saw this in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, who got together to conspire. No, I'm not going to go through all that again. All right. But the hypocrisy, representing a gift, is greater than what it really was. It said, we gave the whole amount when they kept some back. They lied. And so in the infant stage of the church, God wasn't going to put up with that. And he dealt very severely with that through his own judgment and took their lives. And today, in the sixth chapter, we see dissension. He tries to get us fighting against each other so that the message is mired in hypocrisy and our message is messed up by disunity. We have no testimony without unity. We don't. And if a community sees disunity in the church, it is certainly not attractive. And so the dissension, which is what we're going to take a look at today from Acts chapter 6. We're going to see four key elements. The first one is this, opposition. So notice verse 1 of chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now think back to the parables of Jesus. Matthew 13, Jesus gives several parables. And one of those parables Jesus gave was the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus said that he would sow the field of the world with people that had the life of God in them, in essence, the sons of the kingdom. But that shortly thereafter, the devil would sow weeds 
the seeds of evil that would spring up in the field. Well, here in the book of Acts, we see the historical fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. First, we see the wheat springing up in the midst of the world, men and women that are filled with the Spirit of God, that were accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, had the life of God in them. We see them springing up. They begin having a tremendous impact upon the city of Jerusalem. But then, in the deceit of Ananias and Sapphira, the first indications of evil sown by the devil appear in the church. Their dishonesty was met by the honesty and the judgment of the Spirit of God. But now we come to a second evidence of the devil sowing weeds in the church with the first church fuss here in Acts chapter 6. These seeds of dissension that Satan is sowing. His attempt is to divide the church by envy and misunderstanding that would cause disunity and ruin the testimony of the church. So notice the characters here. In the church at Jerusalem, two kinds of Jews that had become Christians by faith in Jesus. You had the Palestinian Jews, which were descendants of the exiled Jews that had returned. They had become Christians, but they had returned from Babylonian captivity under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra. We read about that in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're studying uh, the lesson from the uh, Answers in Genesis curriculum, we're talking about the Babylonian captivity right now, and Daniel being there, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these Palestinian Jews were the ones that came back from that Babylonian captivity. They were raised in Jerusalem, and they spoke Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. But then you also have here the Grecian Jews called Hellenists. These people had been born and raised in provinces away from Palestine, did not learn the Hebrew or Aramaic language, and they spoke Greek. So opposition arose between these two groups over the ways their widows were being treated. Every day, evidently, there was a distribution of food made to the widows that were in need. They had a common fund that was provided to give money to the needs of the widows among the group because these widows had no other means of support. But this problem arises. One group was being neglected. We don't know whether that was deliberate or whether it was an oversight. The Bible doesn't say. So the Grecian Jews expressed their, their dissatisfaction by murmuring, complaining, which can always be deadly to a church. These Jews didn't bring their grievances to the apostles, to those in authority that could do something about it. They just murmured and complained among themselves, and they spread discontent throughout the entire body. Now, when you complain about a problem to people that are not in a position of authority to do anything about it, that's murmuring. And murmuring brings dissension and disunity, and it can also bring the judgment of God. So the opposition rose up from within the church over how the widows were being treated. Satan had sowed some seeds of discontent. But notice next, the overseers, beginning in verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, who are the twelve? 
obviously the, the apostles. They gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So somehow the apostles heard about the murmuring. Those who murmur, they want everyone to hear about it except those in authority. But the apostles learned about it. Sure enough, the truth came out. By the way, soul winners don't murmur. I know. People who murmur don't win souls. I, uh, I heard about a sign on a car lot that said more people are run down each year by gossip than by automobiles. <laughs> well, people that murmur and gossip. When the, when the apostles heard about this, they act immediately. They get on this. And they say, you choose seven men from among you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that will take care of this. We'll appoint them to the task and it will get done. Now, when they said that, they were not saying, oh, listen, waiting on tables, that's, that's beneath our dignity. That's below our level, all right? We're above that responsibility. They weren't saying that at all. They're simply acknowledging a higher responsibility and a higher calling here, the ministry of the Word and prayer. And, you know, I think to a large extent, We've got a lot of churches today that have lost sight of the importance of the ministry of the word and prayer. And for you that are elders here, this is your top priority. The ministry of the word and prayer. Because all of that deals with people. And too many times we have people that should be giving themselves to that ministry that get involved in all kinds of other things and the church gets out of balance. Can't allow that to happen. We need to strive to have the right balance and for people to be faithful to the calling of God on their life to do what God has called them to do. The overseers of the church need to be focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what God calls them to as a leader. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All of that where Paul is talking about how the church is like a body and how every member of the body needs to do its function and work for the body to be healthy. And the eye can't say to the ear, I don't have need of you and all kinds of things like that. No. The whole point of what Paul says there. It's that everybody needs to do what God has called them to do in the body. So the apostles here, as God's appointed leaders, were to give direction to the body from their ministry of the word and prayer. It's not that they were above waiting on tables, but that wasn't what God had called them to. They were to give oversight to the body by making sure everyone was doing what God had called them to do. And by the way, this whole problem in Acts 6... It came about because someone didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? And that just always seems to be the case. And people will make every excuse in the world for their problems before they'll admit they've pulled away from God and what he wants them to do. So the overseers say, 
Choose from among you seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom that we can appoint to this task. Now notice the opportunity. In verse 3, which we've already read, and then also verses 5 and 6. Again, uh, they say to choose men from among you full of the Spirit and of wisdom that we can appoint to this task. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now remember there is potential in every problem. And there are a number of potential opportunities right here in this text. We see, first of all, the potential for the problem to be solved. It can be solved. And the apostles come up with a good way for it to be solved. We see the potential here for dissension to be turned into unity. Rather than dissension dividing the people, no, here's a way to bring the people together. The dissension can be turned into unity. We see here also an opportunity for leaders to get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. The apostles said, we're going to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And they did. We see here an opportunity for the people to get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. Take seven men, they can take care of this problem. They'll do this. You do what you're called to do, we'll do what we're called to do. We see here an opportunity for the church to get back to doing what it's supposed to be doing. Exemplifying unity in the midst of the world to be attractive, to bring people to a knowledge of Jesus. We see here an opportunity for seven men to take on a new ministry. And they did. And they got the job done. One of my favorite professors at St. Louis Christian College was Albert McGee. Albert was a Clay County boy, but served for years as a professor at St. Louis. Seemed to be a favorite among students. You'd go into an Albert class, as we used to affectionately call them, and you would sit there, and Albert would not lecture. He would preach his class. That's just the way it came out. And you loved it. The problem was, at the end of the class period, you would look down, okay, you'd be sitting there with your pencil in hand to take notes, and you would get so engrossed and involved in listening to what Albert was saying, preaching, in essence, at the end of the hour, you'd look down and you hadn't written a thing down. That was the problem with an Albert class. But Albert used to say this in dealing with this passage of Scripture. He said, you give me seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, I think I could take care of any problem in the church. And I just remember him saying that so clearly, so distinctly. But these seven men, they got the job done. There is also here the opportunity for these men to set an example for other believers. When people see people serving and not worrying about who's going to get thanked or the glory, just doing what needs to be done, it sets a good example for other believers. There is the opportunity here, the potential for the world to see a difference in the way the church handles problems compared to the way the world solves problems. And our world needs to see the church doing things differently 
and correctly and in a godly way. There is also here the potential for God to receive glory from a failed attack by the devil. And the glory does go to God. So a number of potential opportunities in this text. But notice the wise decisions of the apostles. They continued to put God first in their own lives, committed themselves to faithfully fulfill what God had called them to do. They reaffirmed the high priority of the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. They encouraged the involvement of the people in this ministry. They didn't hold hearings to listen to all the gripes and complaints. Too many people want to complain about something rather than correct something. And they make it clear that godly men could deal with this issue. I mean, if you get ungodly men to serve, that just creates more problems. They said what? Choose from what? Choose from among yourselves. Seven men full of the spirit and of with, with, uh, uh, the spirit and of wisdom, and they'll take care of it. So who did they choose? We read those seven names. Do you understand or realize that all seven of those names are Greek names? Whose widows were being neglected? The Greek, the Grecian widows. It appears that the seven men that were chosen were chosen from the complaining party. Not saying the seven men that were chosen were complainers, but they're all Greek names. And so I would imagine those that were doing the murmuring and complaining knew these seven men personally and selected them because we pray they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom, and once these men dealt with the problem, the problem disappeared. The opportunity, the potential in every problem. So the outcome, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's the outcome. The providential purpose and potential in every problem. They dealt with it in a good way and the church grew. The potential. It comes back to this problem, solution, growth cycle. Problem, solution, growth. You see it throughout the book of Acts. Let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 2, the 12 are speaking in tongues. On the day of Pentecost, so that everybody can hear of the mighty deeds of God and can learn about Jesus. The problem is it caused bewilderment among the people. They didn't understand what was going on, and they accused these men of being drunk. The solution? Peter stood up. Peter, who had been given the keys to the kingdom, and he opened the door of the kingdom for people to come in by preaching the gospel and convincing them they had murdered the very Messiah they'd been waiting for. The preaching of the gospel that day was the solution. The growth, 
How many responded on the day of Pentecost? Some 3,000 were baptized that day. Problem, solution, growth. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, there's a lame man at the gate. Can't walk. Okay? That's the problem. The solution? Peter gets his attention. He thinks he's going to get some alms. But Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Kind of the words of the little song we used to teach the kids. He went walking and leaping and praising God. If you remember the little song, okay. That's the solution, the healing. Peter healed him. What was the growth? In chapter 4 and verse 4 it says the number grew to 5,000 men in the church. Acts chapter 5, the problem? Ananias and Sapphira lies, the hypocrisy, the solution? God was the solution on that one with his judgment. They both dropped dead. What was the result? The growth, chapter 5, verse 14. Multitudes of men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Right here again, Acts chapter 5. The apostles were arrested. That's the problem. What's the solution? Well, an angel released them and go and preach in the temple all the message about this life. And they did that, but then they're rearrested. Told, threatened, don't ever again speak in that name. They were beaten, finally released. What was the result? The growth. Chapter 6, verse 1, we read it. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing greatly. And what did we see today? A problem. Widows being neglected in the daily ministration of food. The solution, choose seven men from among you, full of spirit and wisdom. The growth, verse 7, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Problem, solution, growth. It's the potential in every problem. At our last leadership meeting, I think it was Alan, as the elders were talking, we were talking about how our numbers have been up recently, especially in our second service. So many young families, I can't keep track of all of them. I don't know the names of all of them. And that's a good thing, all right? On Mother's Day, when you came in, or when people in the second service came in, or some of you were leaving, you probably saw me out in the parking lot parking cars. Andy was preaching that day, I didn't, so I had a little bit of flexibility just trying to get all the cars parked. Greg Smith walked out that day and we were talking about it and I told Greg, Greg, I really think we're just going to have to tell some of these people to quit coming. Remember that? So, but no, Alan said in our leadership meeting, he said, guys, you realize that as things go well and our numbers increase, Satan will attack. Our elders are aware of that, and I'm glad they are. Satan's going to do something to this congregation at some point in the days ahead. I don't know what it'll be, and it'll be a problem. And we either have to deal with it head on and bring a godly solution to it, because there's blessings and potential in every problem, or we let him win a victory, which will it be? 
I pray we'll see a problem, a solution, and growth. That's the way it should be. Jesus unleashed his church upon the world, but it had problems too that it had to face. But when they dealt with them correctly, the church continued to grow. I pray that we will also. If you have a decision you'd like to make for Christ today, you can meet me down front as we stand, as we sing.